We have just folded space from X. Yes? How how was your journey? Many podcasts on X. Bad podcasts. Oh, yes? Worse than those on Rejess. You are transparent. I see many things. I see plans within plans. I see two co-hosts. Harding. Shives. Feuding. I see you behind it. Yes. You must share with us. The Late Seating Podcast has thrashed my prequels. They hated Howard the Duck, and I hear they're reviewing Dune. What if they like it more than my masterpiece, The Revenge of the Sith? So I've spread rumors that Harding is the reason the MacGyver movie was never made. So Shives will rid you of Harding, and the podcast will end. Yes. One last point. Shives. What of him? Surely with his co-host gone, the podcast will end. Shives must be killed. We never said this. We were never here. I understand. And how can this be? For he is the Quizzats Haderach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Late Seating. I am Jason Harding. And I'm Steve Shives. And on this show, we take a classic movie and see if it lives up to its reputation, whether that reputation is good or bad. And this time around, its reputation is... (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's its reputation exactly. This time around, we're doing Dune, and this time around, it was picked by our listeners, right, Steve? That's right. Listener's choice. They could have chosen from any of the literally hundreds, perhaps even thousands of films that meet our particular criteria for this show. Or not. They didn't have to. Well, that's true. They, they, that's yeah. Oh, my God. It's even more. It was wide open. That's right. They, they could they, have said, do Infinity Gauntlet. They, they could have. So out of or, all of the, what, and hundreds of thousands of pieces of cinema ever right. made, they uh-huh. said they wanted more than any to hear us review Dune. So and here we are. that's what they're going to get, that's, right, yeah. Steve? That's, yeah. Yep. That's what we're going to do. We watched it, and now you're going to get what you wanted. Yeah, we hope you're happy. We do. We wish they're happy. I wish them nothing but the happiest of happinesses. That's right. So, Steve. Yes. Do you have any trivia about Dune? Well, it's, it's such a, you know, the production of the film was so quiet and uneventful. Um, I actually, I do have some trivia and, um, my trivia it all, there's, there's a a connective thread that runs through all of my little pieces of trivia. So, um, that's the effort that I made for this show. I hope everybody's grateful. Um, okay. So as a lot of people know, uh, this was, this was David Lynch's first film after the elephant man, which was like his big, you know, breakthrough introduction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so after the elephant man, he got a lot of offers and he turned down all those offers to do Dune and the most famous offer that he turned down was an offer to direct the third Star Wars film, Return of the Jedi. Then called Revenge of Re- the then Jedi. Then called Revenge of the Jedi, yeah. So he turned down Return of the Jedi 
to direct Dune. And that choice didn't work out so well for, for David Lynch. Today, David Lynch considers Dune to be the only outright failure of his career, and he rarely discusses it in interviews. And and he, and he admits that he never should have directed it. He says he never should have directed it, which is something he's never said about any of his other films. On the flip side, before Lynch was hired to direct Dune, the attached director was Ridley Scott. And Ridley Scott left after, unfortunately, his older brother uh, had cancer and died, and Ridley Scott left the production for a few months. And then he came back, and he realized, oh, man, this movie is huge. It's going to take forever. I don't really have... I'm not ready to commit to like a two year long project. So Ridley Scott left and he made another movie and the movie Ridley Scott made was Blade Runner. So well, I heard it differently. Oh, really? Yeah. I heard that it was Jodorowsky's Dune. Well, he that was before. Yeah. Yeah. After that one kind of fell apart, they asked Ridley Scott. Yeah. Ridley Scott got into it and that's where he picked up H.R. Geiger for Alien. Okay. All of it could be wrong. Yeah, I just know though, from what I from what I read, Ridley Scott was the was the director who was attached like before Lynch got the job because yeah, Jodorowsky came before any of them, I think. I know Jodorowsky, yeah. then Scott, then yeah. this because this is a separate production, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This isn't exactly yeah because Jodorowsky's what his production company they lost the rights and then the De Laurentiis picked up the rights. And, and that's we how should this probably movie. talk about the yeah. Jodorowsky dude in just a little bit. Um, yeah, Jodorowsky is. <laughs> <laughs> He's an interesting filmmaker, would you say so, Steve? <laughs> yes. His films are always coherent, right? Uh... <laughs> he was a very avant-garde... Um, how, how would you define him? No, yeah, avant-garde is a great... Is a great yeah. description. Yeah, very Filmmaker, artsy. His yeah. films are are filled with metaphoric imagery. Yeah, um, they're always framed interestingly, and you don't ever walk away from a Jodorowsky film without going, "What?" <laughs> in certain ways, he's he's he has some things in common with with Lynch. Right. Yeah. And the, his version of the film was he was going to make it, and and he was going to get Mobius to do some of the artwork, and and, and Geiger was going to do some of the artwork, and he was going to cast. Salvador Dali as the emperor and Salvador Dali wanted a hundred thousand dollars a day so they wow. said well no yeah and so he's I'm sorry a hundred thousand dollars an hour oh my I God. take that back a hundred thousand dollars a day sounded extreme uh-huh and so <laughs> he said fine we'll shoot all of his stuff in an hour and then we'll use a robotic stand-in for the rest of his stuff that sounds and reasonable. now you know why it is that that movie was never going to get made wow because it was a mess. If Jodorowsky's Dune had ever been made, then it would have been the last film Jodorowsky ever made. <laughs> it would have bankrupted everybody involved. And it might be known as that expensive thing that occurred in the 1970s. But, right. you know, thankfully they, they ended it quick before they, <laughs> before they flushed a huge amount of money down the toilet. Yeah, really. Uh, well, I don't have anything. <laughs> I don't know. I, it was dependent on you. You came up with some great trivia, Steve. Thank you. Hey, there is one more one more little fun factoid. Okay, um, cool. Well, you know, as, as a lot of us probably remember a couple years ago, there was a sequel to Blade Runner. Blade Runner 2049, which was directed, right. which was directed by Denis Villeneuve, and yeah. Denis Villeneuve's next film is yeah. a new adaptation of Dune. 
Oh, so, that's interesting. Yeah. Everything's connected. It's all connected, see? Did, did we need another Dune? Uh, I'm, Are they only doing Dune because they think they can get another franchise out of it? I bet that's the reason. Uh, you know what I'm sick of hearing? Both from the promotion, the people, way people talked about it in the 1970s and now. You know what I'm tired of hearing? What? It's Star Wars for grown-ups. Oh, yeah. That's a really great way to... I don't know, alienate most of the audience that will be going up because people, most of the grown-ups who love Star Wars went, what did you say? <laughs> Wait a minute, I liked it. <laughs> just, just like the same way I heard someone tell me that the Matrix trilogy is going to be like Star Wars for grown-ups, and I went, ha-ha, and then it went... <laughs> Trilogy, you say? <laughs> but who knows? It might be great. Who knows? It might be. It might, yeah. It might be. Or it might be like, I'm taking a nap now. Someone just said a string of words, and there wasn't a single English word in it. It was all this made-up language and stuff, and quizettes, hatterack and stuff. I'm going, I don't know. All right, you ready to hear who made it, Steve? Yeah. It was directed by David Lynch. Do I have to tell you? I don't. I shouldn't have to, right? I would hope not. No. He didn't make another movie for a little while after this one. <laughs> he, he took a well-deserved vacation. But he came out swinging, didn't he, Steve? Yeah, I th his next film after this was Blue Velvet, which <laughs> many right, people baby. consider his masterpiece, yeah. Uh, produced by Rafaela De Laurentiis, who's the son of what's her, what's his name, Dino De Laurentiis, <laughs> yes. and she also produced Conan, ah. the, the Barbarian, not the, not Conan O'Brien. She's not. not <laughs> She's a, a producer on show. Conan, that that late night talk show that I enjoy so much. <laughs> Screenplay by David Lynch. That's right. They let David write and direct this. He had a little bit of help. He had a little bit of help, but um, unfortunately, I can't go. Well, the screen, the director was obviously working. He did. Uh, he did it. He did all the, the internal monologue <laughs> yeah. stuff. He did it. It's all Lynch. I read the script. It's in there. <laughs> in Lynch's own handwriting, there are no typed copies. Sometimes it says VO. Sometimes it says inner voice. And I don't know why we chose with, with the inner voice thing. I don't. I honestly, I don't know. I don't. Steve. It's not because they were cutting it for time and they were afraid no. people were going to lose stuff. It was in the script. <laughs> Based on Dune by Frank Herbert and Lawrence of Arabia and a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Influences like, abound. Like our involvement in, in uh, you know, the Middle East in general in the early 1900s. <laughs> Starring Francesca Annis as Lady Jessica. She did a bunch of TV. She's British. She did a bunch. Of, she was with, married to Ralph Fiennes for a little while. Mm. Leonardo Cimino as the Baron's doctor. And you'll recognize him as the scary old man from Monster Squad and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. Um, Brad Dourif as Peter DeVries. Now, you know him, Come on. It's Brad Dorif. Yeah. He was in Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, boy, yeah. The voice of Chucky all those times and a bunch of other movies. Jose Ferrer as Padashah, Emperor Shaddam IV. And you'll recognize Jose Ferrer from Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> and um, he did uh, Cyrano de Bergerac, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I believe he did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. He did. Linda Hunt as the shout-out mapes. And you know Linda Hunt from You're Living Dangerously and um, some other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Other things. Freddie Jones as Thufur Howat. Now, Freddie Jones is one of my favorite character actors. Um, he was in The Elephant Man, and he appears one more time in, I think, Wild at Heart, mm -hmm. another Lynch film. He was in uh, 
Crow. He was in a lot of movies. He's in a lot of bad movies. But <laughs> he did he did have a kid. You know who his kid is? Who's his kid? Toby Jones. Oh. Yeah. Oh no kid. And he's a really good actor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Alright, at Richard Jordan as Duncan Idaho, and you remember Richard Jordan, where you remember him from Logan's Run. Logan's Run, yeah. A bunch of movies in the 80s, he was in, you know, Hunt for Red October, he's been in a bunch of stuff. Kyle McLaughlin in his first movie role. Little baby Kyle McLaughlin. Paul Atreides, and this started his relationship with David Lynch that exists to this day, mm. huh? Because he did this, he did... Um, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, he did Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. and then he did Twin Peaks again. <laughs> <laughs> Virginia Madsen is Princess Irulian. Um Virginia Madsen was a, a hot girl in the 1980s, and everybody thought she was so hot. That's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, you, when you look back on her career, it's shocking that she wasn't a bigger star. Well, she didn't really pick very good movies. That's true, yeah. Silvana Mangano as Reverend Mother Romalo. Everett McGill is Stilgar. Um, you guys will know Everett, Everett McGill as the lead caveman in Quest for Fire. And he's been in other movies, too. Yeah, and he was Don't also in Twin Peaks. Was he in Twin Oh, he was yeah. in Twin Peaks? Yeah. Good. Kenneth McMillan as Baron Vladimir Harkonnen, another one of my favorite actors. Um, I will talk about the Baron Harkonnen later. <laughs> um, <laughs> But he's been in a bunch of stuff. You'll recognize him immediately and other things. He's a really great character actor. Um, Jack Nance as Captain Iconefund. Hey, what else has Jack Nance been in? Uh, he was in uh, Eraserhead, and he was also That's, in Twin Peaks. Yeah, and he yeah. was also in... He's been in a lot of his movies as well. Yeah. Um, Cyan Phillips as the Reverend Mother Gaius Hill in Moham. Moham. Moham? Sure. Mohayim. Mohayim. To life, Mohayim. <laughs> Jürgen Prochnow as Duke Leto Atreides, and you'll recognize him from Das Boot, and also from a bunch of other things, yeah. too. Paul Smith as the Beast Raban. Paul Smith plays a bad guy a lot. And he was Bluto in Popeye, and he was in this, and he was in a couple other movies. Nothing major. Patrick Stewart uh, as Gurney Halleck. Sir Patrick. <laughs> Do I have to? Do I have to? <laughs> no good. <laughs> Sting as Fade Routha. Nope. I'm not. I don't have to do anything for him either. Angelica Argon, or Aragon as Bene Gesserit's sister. Dean Stockwell oh. as Dr. Wellington Yui. <laughs> and he comes back again in another Lynch film, don't he? Yeah, yeah, he does, yeah. Blue Velvet. And of course. But he's sp- best yeah. well known for almost at the same time that Blue Velvet was out. <laughs> For playing who, Steve? <laughs> he was Al in Quantum Leap. That's right. Sam! <laughs> I gotta go hang out with a weird friend of mine for a little while. <laughs> that would be a great Quantum Leap episode. Gushy, set me on Frank! Sam, Sam jumps into Frank's body. Oh my god. <laughs> Okay, when he has that piece of blue velvet in his mouth and he's got the nitrous up to <laughs> yes. his nose. Okay, Sam, Frank's a little unusual. You're going to have to just... <laughs> you're going to have to go along with it. A few things you're going to need to know. Yeah. A love letter is a bullet from his gun. <laughs> Al, how do you know so much about this guy? Shut up. <laughs> just do what I tell you, Sam, if you want to get out of here alive. <laughs> 
Max von Sydow oh. as Dr. Kynes. Yeah. Blink and you'll miss him, but he's in this. Yes, he is. Alicia Ryan Witt as Alia Atreides. Oh, but just her, just her face. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's not her voice. No, thank God. If that was that, if that was really her voice at this age. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. That she would, would be not bad. have had a career after this. Sean Young is Johnny. We all know Sean Young. She went cuckoo, and no one ever wanted to work with her again. Yeah. I'm not entirely certain if she did go cuckoo or if Hollywood just turned her back, their back on her. Like they have a tendency to do with people, right, Steve? Yeah, especially people. Because of... how fucking crazy is Nick Nolte, and he continues to get to get work, Exa- right? Exactly. Weird. She dressed up like Catwoman trying to get the Catwoman role on a, on a talk show, and they went, oh, she's too crazy to work with. Yeah. Meanwhile, Nick Nolte is shoving a cucumber up his ass, standing on top of a Winnebago <laughs> outside of a, a Jiffy Lube. And they're like, we need to get him in a movie. He's not even auditioning for anything. (laughs) He's just doing that. That's right. That's right. Sean Young is too difficult to work with, but we'll let Harvey Weinstein have a career for 35 fucking years. Mel Gibson. Yeah, the list goes on and on and on. Hanarato Maglione as Othim, Judd Omen as Jameis, Molly Weirn as Hera, and David Lynch <laughs> as the Spice Worker. <laughs> What's that, my lord? I can't hear you. We can't leave all this spice. <laughs> Narrated, because we needed it. Narrated by Virginia Madsen. Yep. Music by oh, Toto. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's the 80s, baby. And we're not going to do a regular orchestra. We're going to get a rock band to do all our music, That's right, right, Steve? That's right. With one exception, the Prophecies theme. Right. And who did the Prophecy theme? Brian Eno. Actually, I like the Prophecy theme a lot. <laughs> I think the music in general is okay in the movie. I yeah. think the music in general is pretty awesome, yeah. except for the closing, the ending scene. The ending credits, is, it's just a <laughs> Cinematography by Freddie Francis. He also was the guy for Elephant Man and Straight Story. Mm. Edited by Anthony Gibbs. Production company, Dino De Laurentiis Corporation. Distributed by Universal Pictures. Release date, December 14th, 1984. Running time, 136 minutes. Mm -hmm. Budget, 40 to $42 million. I'm sorry I don't have the adjusted for inflation. I forgot. I'm sorry. God damn it. Box office... 30 to 37 million dollars. Oh, but that's less than the budget. Uh-oh. Oh, that's never good. <laughs> Guess what happens when that happens, Steve? What do they call it? They call it a bomb. They call it a bomb. So, I mean, it didn't, I mean, that maybe made its money back in VHS and stuff, right? Maybe. Because I think a lot of fans caught up with it on VHS. I know a lot of people who love Dune who's never, who never saw it in a movie theater. Yeah, that's true. And hey, Harlan Ellison liked it. Oh, goody. <laughs> I can sleep now. <laughs> Harlan Ellison liked it? Harlan Ellison was a huge apologist for this film for many years, yeah. Right. You mean that man who yelled at everyone on his front porch? Like, everyone? Yep. And he loved Dune. <laughs> we, need, we need to find something where we can really get into Harlan Ellison. Yeah. But unfortunately, we're not going to be reviewing Babylon 5 on this show. I was going to say, most of his writing, other than, like, you know, short stories, was in TV. We don't do a TV yeah, podcast. <laughs> 
All right, Steve, put on this still suit. Okay, these things are so uncomfortable. Have it uh, desert fashion. Doesn't matter. You want to stay alive, don't you? I do. I want to stay alive in the desert. Remember to breathe in through your mouth and out through your nose. Sure, that makes sense. The little tube's going to give you a little tiny callus on the side. Okay. 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 I'm good. Remember, walk without rhythm. Right. So the so we don't attract the worms. That's right. Okay. It's more than just a fat boy slim lyric. <laughs> <sighs> and let's hallucinate our way into the world of Dune. Steve, yeah. take it away. Let's all get a good look at Virginia Madsen's huge floating head. <laughs> because we. <laughs> We open on on Princess Irulan, Virginia Madsen, and her huge floating head. Princess ex- exposition. Fading in over like a star field, yeah. And exactly, she does like, she gives us this really nice spoken word performance of the opening crawl to a Star Wars movie. Right, or like she's reading Dune to us. Yeah, she, yeah. okay, so there's some shit you're going to need to know for this. <laughs> she flips through the book. She just rattles through like, you know, the, 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 uh, what, the, the spacing guild and the emperor and, you know, there's all these different planets and the most important planet is arrakis which is the desert planet called dune and that's right. where they mine melange which is what they usually call the spice which is basically right. like the macguffin to end all macguffins it's the most important stuff in the universe well, it's more than a macguffin it. because it actually does something. that's true yeah it, it does like everything apparently it, yeah it's like a superfood of yeah. superfoods yeah it can mutate guys into weird um I don't even know what that is anymore. The, a big testicle with a vagina mouth. It can make people live a long time. Yeah. It can give people um, super power abilities, right? Yeah, yeah. Like telepathy and stuff. And it, it turns your eyes blue. It can turn your eyes blue, yeah. right? And it does a lot of things. Yeah, and she also the, the I think the only other like really important plot information that she offers is that the native people of the planet Dune, the Fremen, have this prophecy about a coming messiah. But everybody's got one oh, of those. Oh, okay. So we but, don't have to watch the movie now, right? Yeah. Well, you can. Yeah, you can pretty much guess how it's going to go from here. But <laughs> yeah. So there. Oh, and it's the year ten thousand one ninety one. That's a long time on, from now. on our calendar. Like, why would they be yeah. going by our calendar on other planets? Oh, yeah, and, but whatever. And and the guild steersmen use the spice melange so that they can fold space, which is right. traveling without moving. Yes. Everybody got that. Very important. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody got that. Can we start the movie now, please? <laughs> so we start off with a report within the guild. Yes. In which four planets have come to their attention. And it's planet Gidi Prime, Arrakis, um, Cal- Cal- California. Caladan, right? Caladan yeah. and um, where the Emperor lives. Yeah. Wherever that is. I can't remember. And they say, let's send somebody, let's send a third stage guild navigator to go talk to the Emperor. And we cut down to the Emperor and his daughter's there and she had just finished her narrating to her opening bit. <laughs> right, exactly. And he's like, get the fuck out of here. A third stage still, he's going, whoa. And this bald lady comes up and she's wearing all black. Who's that, Steve? Um, I forget what they, what her name is, but she's, she's like the, she's a, a Benny, a Benny Jesserit mother. She's like a psychic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's a reverend mother. Yeah. And she's all like, I'm your truth sayer and I'll be here. And he's like, you can't be here when they get here. They won't like it. They don't like it. And I have to be here alone. And she's like, fine, I'll wait outside and listen in with my psychic powers. And he's like, awesome. And they give each other thumbs up. <laughs> and she goes off into an ante room and he whips off his, his cape. Yeah. And he's standing there and it's Jose Ferrer. And then a bunch of S&M guys come in. A bunch of Cenobites walk in. Yep. And pretty much. They're gross. They're pretty gross. They're all wearing these leather, shiny leatherette kind of 
cloaky things, and one of them has a translation device. Oh, no, wait, she doesn't leave yet because they tell her to leave. They're like, that. She get her out of here, she's gross. <laughs> and she, like, leaves. All right, sorry. And as soon as she's gone, they're also pushing along with them a, a gigantic black fish tank, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, and the fish tank kind of slides into the room. And, and, the fr- and it's covered up. It's covered. It's it's like it's black, and then it's it got panels, and it kind of opens up, right? And then this and inside is like this smoky orange like area, yeah. And then what swims up to the the little translator thing at the front of the tank? <laughs> How should one describe it? Describe it's, it, Steve. <laughs> like like a a a big uh, talking baby made out of testicles a, with a vagina mouth. <laughs> a big talking testicle. I was gonna say, yeah, like a giant testicle fish. <laughs> Uh, swims up, and this is the navigator, and the navigator is yeah. like, "Hey, so here's the yeah. deal." And he talks okay. about how there's there's uh, there's this other guy who named Duke Atreides, yeah. who's getting super popular and is suspected of creating this this secret army. He doesn't say any of this. He doesn't. Well, th- this he inter- goes, "We know what you're fucking doing," and he's like, "Well, yeah, well I'm not. What do you mean?" <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's right. And then the emperor says, <laughs> the emperor says all this. Yeah. So here's what the emperor's doing. Yeah. The em- there are two houses: the Harkonnens and the Atreides. And the Harkonnens control Arrakis. And the emperor decided, uh oh, Atreides is getting really popular throughout the galaxy, and he threatens me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take away Arrakis from the Harkonnens, give it to the Atreides, and then I'm going to give the Harkonnens all these dudes, and they're going to invade and they're going to kill the Duke, thus eliminating him. Ha ha! And then uh, no more threat. Right? Right, right. And the the guildsman's like, cool, all right, uh, just one one thing. Can you do me one favor, please, Emperor? Are you listening? Huh? Yeah, what? What do you need? Okay, could you do me just one, do me a solid. Uh, Would you do this for me, please? Got it, what, anything. We'll kill the fuck out of you. We will, ooh. We got a thing called a pain amplifier, and we'll stick you in it forever. Okay. I know you're the Emperor, but we're more powerful than you. So let me just say, let me just put it this way. We want you Mm -hmm. to kill not only the Duke, but also his son, Uh, Paul. Oh, Paul? Yeah, Paul. Okay. I didn't say this. I wasn't here. Got it. All right. Yeah, cool. I, we're just, cool. Yeah, my lips are sealed. Cool. I'm out. All right. And then they leave. Bye, giant <laughs> testicle fish. Outside, the Reverend Mother like gathers a bunch of other bald ladies, and she's like, "We got to go take a look at Paul Atreides and Caladan, right?" Yeah. And they're like, "Okay." And then we cut to Caladan, right, Steve? Yeah. And then and we and I think like the backstory on Paul is that. Uh, on the, the Atreides are only supposed they were only supposed to we don't know that yeah they don't yeah, isn't there, there's some kind there's some kind of exposition around this time right where oh they, okay so yeah the narrator comes in and says um, the, the, the the head prostitute that sleeps with the king or the the, <laughs> the lord bear whatever the duke yeah yeah she was only supposed to give him give him daughters right because the reverend mother told her but she went nope I'm giving her a son and that son's name Paul yeah so that's I, that's why he's that's why he's special that's right yeah and Paul's sitting in his room doing some studying and when he's looking at the planets he's looking at Arrakis yeah and he's like yeah that's a desert planet all right and there's no water on it done anything and then some guys come in the room and there's Thufar Howitt who's got eyebrows up to the ceiling oh boy and Gurney Halleck who has a has a guitar that's bigger than him yeah and 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 then the traitor. Yeah. Uh, oh, I not mean, yet. Doctor Doctor <laughs> Yui. Doctor Yui. And Thufer's like you. He says, "I know my back was against the wall, but I could tell if it was." And he's like, "Someone could imitate our footsteps." And he's like, "I would tell." And then we and the thing if we haven't mentioned it yet, we hear people's internal internal dialogue. Yeah. Why? Steve? So we know we know what's on their mind. 
that's what an actor does is not have to say the internal things or why didn't they just say it out loud why couldn't he have said out loud his response would have been yes i i suppose you could or something like that right yeah it is it's it's like the cinematic equivalent of thought bubbles in comic books which i always hated i always hated thought bubbles. yeah yeah. Me too. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Paul's awesome, right? Yeah, he's he's he sure does seem to be a killing machine. They they do his. He's, he's a greatest student ever. Oh, he's yeah, and yeah, they give him like these. He he has like a little hand to hand fight with Gurney where they they turn on their shields and they fight like you know computer generated stick men, like yeah. block men. They turn in, they their shields make them look all blocky like yeah. giant gumbies. Yeah, they yeah. They have a knife fight. That's it. Yeah. That comes out to be a draw. Yes. And, and they're like, whoo. And it turns out they all know that this is a trick from the Emperor, that they know that, that this is what the Emperor's trying to do, but they're going to go anyway because they have their new army, right? Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, don't worry. We'll be fine. And oh, yeah, Paul, you're great. Eventually, we haven't said it at least once, each of us. You're great, Paul. You're awesome. Paul's the like, best. I am awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I am pretty great. And now let's try to kill you. Lower down, uh, fighter. And they, they clear the room, and it turns out that their new weapon is a thing that you attach to your throat that is connected to, uh, like a, a pew pew gun. Yeah. And they make them fight this thing that comes down out of the ceiling that has, like, knives and shooty things and, like, blades, and it looks super dangerous, huh, Steve? Yeah. And, like, you, 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 you say certain words or make certain noises, and that, like, works with the gun somehow and causes it to fire. It's like a, a whole yes. different discipline. It's super more powerful than just having a gun that shoots. Sure. Because it adds an extra step of having to go, Ya-choo! Yeah, like, <laughs> just get, just put a trigger on the gun. How hard is this? <laughs> just give me a button I can push, for Christ's sake. <laughs> anyway, yeah. then we cut to... Uh, do we cut to do we cut to Giddy Prime? Uh, uh, or do we, do we meet his dad? Do we first? meet his mom and his dad first? I think we meet his dad first. Yeah. So he's walking down a corridor. They're packing up the castle, and he sees Duncan Idaho, and he goes, "Oh, Duncan!" And he says, "Your dad's sending me off to go do it before you. I'm I'm such an important character. I'm sure I'll, this will play out later. I am so totally not in this for a minute. <laughs> Bye." <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, and your dad wants to see you, and he goes out and he sees his dad, and his dad's like, by the way, in case anyone hasn't told you yet today, Paul, you're like the greatest thing ever in ever. You're super awesome Everyone and important. says it. You're, you're master, my master assassin, Thufra says it, Dr. Huey says it, Gurney says it, you're the greatest thing ever, you're the, the height of all of our evolution. <laughs> And then they look out at the sea, and then his dad says, we gotta go traveling, because if you don't, something sleeps inside of us, and the sleeper must awaken. Yeah. Right, Steve? Remember that for later, kids. The sleeper <laughs> must awaken. you to forget it. No, he, it is repeated from time to time. <laughs> So, uh, then what happens? Then, um, we meet, um, what's her face? Well, yeah, it's Lady Jessica, right? Lady Jessica, and, and she's coming to get the door. Yeah, and the Reverend Mother's there. And she's like, well, bam, we're here for your son. Yeah. And she's like, what? And she's like, number one, we told you to have a daughter, but you had to have a boy because it's super important to the guy you're sleeping with. And she's like, ah, no. And he says, well, now I'm going to almost kill him. And she's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yup. 
So they yeah. go into his room and they talk and he pretends to be asleep and she's like, you're not fooling anybody. I'm psychic, dipshit. I know you're awake. Yeah. Anyway, we'll do what we can for him, but for, we're not going to do anything for Duke Lido. No, there's not. He's fucking dead, okay? He's dead. <laughs> Did you hear me, Paul? Your dad's fucking dead. Oh. <laughs> get him dressed and get him into your room. I need to do something with a box. <laughs> And like, fine. <laughs> and she's like, Paul, get dressed. I need to do a really sick campfire prank to him. <laughs> so she takes him to uh, Jessica's room, pushes him in through the door and says, good luck. <laughs> and she, she uses something weird on Paul. She uses something called the voice. Yeah. Which can make people do what you tell them, right? Right. And at first he resists, and then she like turns up the volume. And then he can't really walks up to her and kneels down in front of her. And she's like, put your hand in his box. And he's like, why? <laughs> no, he says, what's in it? And she's like, paid. And he like does the thing that you would normally do, which is try to leave. But then she does what, Steve? <laughs> uh, I forget. Does she use the voice on him again? No, she holds to his neck the gum. Jabbar. Oh, yeah, okay. Which has a lethal poison. It's like a little thing, like a, a thimble on the end of her finger. With a needle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she's like, put your hand in the box, because we're going to see if you're human. And he's like, what? And he's like, only a human would keep their hand inside of a burning box, because they're that dumb. <laughs> animals, on the other hand, would yank their hand out, because okay. animals are smart, I guess. <laughs> I and don't it's know. it's better to Just be a human. Do it. <laughs> Look, don't look at my face when this is happening, because I'm, I'm, for the most part, having an orgasm while this goes on okay <laughs> and he puts his hand in the box and she says you're gonna feel an itching and he's like yeah i feel that's cool and he's like and now that turns into a burning and he's like that's not good and then now that's turning into like super burning like parts of your body are falling off and paul starts doing a mantra doesn't he steve yeah yeah about this is where mom. he starts talking about fear right like yeah, yeah. fear is the mind killer yeah. fear is the little death yeah. and doesn't and, she, and she tells him if he does if he takes his hand out that he'll die yeah yeah and then she gets off on it, and she goes, ah, and then she stops it. And, of course, because Paul's great at everything, he's like, uh, number one, no man's ever been given this test, only women. Number two, he's endured more pain than any other woman has ever, huh, Steve? He's the best. He's the best around. And then... <laughs> So she tells him, you're human. And he's like, oh, okay, I get it. I, I, I guess. And Jessica comes in. And he's like, yeah, he's alive. And she's like, he needs to learn the voice if he's going to survive. And then Paul has a little fit because he wants his daddy to be alive or something, right? Yeah. And she's like, shop. <laughs> and then we go to Giddy Prime. Yeah. And we meet the... Oh, boy. <laughs> we meet the best, least problematic character ever. Well, first we meet we meet um, Fade, uh, not Fade. Um, no, the uh, Brad Dorf. Yeah, Brad Dorf's guy. I forget his name already, but yeah. Well, he's a Mentat as well, and the Mentats drink this juice called the juice of Safu, which is um, is it Sap Safu? I can't remember what it's called. Yeah. Anyway, it's a juice that's grown by using the spice, of course, that turns their brain super smart. Yeah, right. Yeah, and it stains their lips, and that's how you can tell like yeah. who is who is one because their lips are always stained with the the juice. Yeah, and it looks like he just pours it all over his mouth. <laughs> Because yeah. it's all over his mouth. <laughs> anyway, so he's he's taking a little trolley car into a Borg cube. Yeah, and he gets inside the Borg cube, and they have all. It looks like a you know looks like kind of an office environment. Actually. Yeah, it does. Everything looks like it's broken up by cubicles. He gets out, he climbs down the stairs, and, and icky, gross stuff that I don't want to talk about because this is a David Lynch film, and he boy boy David, you really know. That, you know what? I've read this book. The Baron Harkonnen is not like this in the book. <laughs> 
The Baron Harkonnen, yes, is a very large man. Is he a homosexual in the book? It's implied so. Yes. Okay, it's implied. Is he a gross murderer guy? <laughs> Not really. I mean, he's evil, don't get me wrong, but he also talks in rhyming couplets and he's very, very intelligent. This Baron doesn't seem capable of stringing sentences together no, correctly. No, he's a rough kind of character, yeah. Okay, so we gotta describe the scene. We walk into this green room. A couple of doctors are <laughs> tunneling through the boils all over Baron Harkonnen's face, yeah, right? Yeah. And um, Huey comes up and he's like, hey, Luke, Duke Leto Atreides, and a bunch of stuff that doesn't make any sense to anybody. We explain everything else, but I'm not explaining this sentence. <laughs> <laughs> But he rejects, he doesn't want to meet with you. And the Baron gets all upset, and he throws the, the letter or whatever it was that was sent by the Duke into this kind of like, I guess what they have is instead of garbage cans, they have an open grate filled with boiling acid, yeah. and they just throw things in it. And um, he calls for uh, Fade and Raban. Yeah, his his Fade's, nephews. Yeah, Fade is played by Sting, and Raban is played by Paul What's-His-Face. And um, if there could be someone dumber than Baron Harkonnen, it would be Raban. Yeah. <laughs> and so now we have we already know that the emperor is plotting against the uh, against duke leto right yeah but now it turns out because you know the the baron says i have a traitor and uh then we're, we're gonna kill them all we're gonna give all of them atreides because i hate them so yeah. much they're awful and i hate they them suck. they're gross and then something happens and we go to the next scene <laughs> uh technically what you said was true but you're 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 omitting a, a few details. I'm omitting something that I just don't uh, want to relive. <laughs> that I wish wasn't in the movie. That's right. Yeah. So these thug, these black armored thugs push. Uh, okay, so number one, the attendants in the room, one guy is wearing goggles, but his ears have been sewn shut. Yeah. And there's a woman whose eyes have been shown shut, except for two little tubes that stick out of it. And it's obvious that this is a bad, awful place. Yeah. And so the guards push in this guy. He's wearing, like, a white thing and. And the Baron Harkonnen um, sees him and then um, pauses underneath a, an open oil grate and covers himself with black oil, yeah, right? Yeah. And he can fly. He's got a little hover. Yeah, belt, he, so he, he floats float everywhere, around. yeah. He, he floats anywhere. He's not wearing any shoes. He's wearing kind of this, this jumpsuit that doesn't quite fit him. And um, he comes down and he starts pawing all over this poor guy who's just trying to put the artificial flowers in. And then he pulls out his heart plug. Y would you like to... Describe the thing that David Lynch added to this if that's not in the books. Yeah, it's like a little gas tank cap on your chest, and yeah. when you pull it out, you die, I guess. <laughs> that's right, yeah. everybody's got one. And then thankfully we cut away as he rapes him, yeah, right, Yeah, thank Steve? goodness for the cutaway. <laughs> and not everybody seems all that thrilled about it. Definitely not uh, Jack Nance. <laughs> no, no. Um, Raban is seems fine with it. Um, Fade looks kind of upset until after he's done, and then he seems fine because they're all crazy. Evil yeah, villains. they're these are the bad guys. These are the bad guys. <laughs> just in case you might have any kind of like, oh, they're not. They're just doing what they need to do as a house. No, <laughs> no, they're the bad these, guys. These, he wanted to make sure that you understood that they were evil, gross, and apparently gay. So there's that. Yeah. <laughs> In hindsight, there are some regrets. 
Shut up. About the direction I took certain scenes. <laughs> yeah, uh, like this direction? <laughs> uh, the gross homophobia was a misstep. And then we over here, when he's done, yeah. he's covered in blood and black oil. Yeah. And we get to hear his inner voice. And he says, this is what I'm going to do to the Duke and his family. Yeah. Oh, good. And you're like, great. <laughs> awesome. Again, another line that did not need to be an inner voice. Yeah, right? he could have just said that. Uh-huh. And the other people... I don't think anyone in that room would have judged him. <laughs> the other people would have rolled their eyes and been like, that's the Baron. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. <laughs> what a character. <laughs> So now we cut back to uh, Caladan, and they get they get in their ships, and they take off. Yeah, and they go into this gigantic, huge tube ship that is the Guild Steersman's ship, and they all dock in there. And then we see a Guild three third stage Guild navigator floating around, floating around, and he spits out a planet. Yeah, and then he spits out another planet, and then he makes the two parts of the thing come together and this is the weirdest space shit since 2001 yeah (laughs) this space folding shit is pretty out there right but see they can travel without moving instantaneously and that's why they're so fucking important right and then we cut to Arrakis, and then the ship just fades into view. It just f- just fades in, yep. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're here! Yay! And then they fly down to the planet, and they fly down to the castle, and they get in the castle. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and they're putting their stuff away, and um, then Paul and the Duke are going to go on a spice tour. Yeah, yeah. With Gurney, and that's where they meet Dr. Kynes, yeah. who's played by Max von Sydow, and they are wearing Still suits and what are still suits? Dave? They're like survival suits that allow you to live in the desert. And and how they do that is they recycle your sweat and your pee into water. And and your feces. and your feces. Feces are processed in the thighs. Yeah, urine and feces are, <laughs> are are processed in the in the thigh pads. Yeah. Thanks, Max. God. Thanks. How do I empty this suit? Empty. Oh no, no. That defeats the entire purpose. You drink it. You drink it all. Yummy yum. Mm, mum, 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 mum. I was saying, I was saying, Conorakis, <laughs> finish your body water. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> anyway, so he, he looks at the Duke suit and adjusts it, and he's about to adjust Paul's, and Paul's is what? Steve? It's already fixed, like like a desert person. Yeah, and Dr. Kynes is like, hey, how does you know how to do that? And he's like, I don't know, because I'm super great. It just seemed like the way to do yeah. it. And he's like, he's that prophecy guy. Hmm. Oh, by the way, when Paul and the family showed up, some woman that we've never seen before um, raises her hand and says the the Savior has come from the outer world. Yeah. Right, right? Yeah. Because Paul is Jesus now. Yeah. Anyway. Never didn't see that coming, did you? They climb into this teeny tiny little ship, and they go flying over Shield Wall, because the city that they're in in Arrakis is protected from the desert by this gigantic rocky shield wall. Yeah. And they go out to the desert, and the Duke sees a worm, and it's making its way to a spice harvest. And the way the spice harvesters are supposed to work is that a big ship called a carryall comes and picks them up before the worm can get there. But the carryall's gone, right, Steve? Huh, I wonder what happened there. I don't That's know. That's weird. Who cares? Anyway, <laughs> the Duke's like, we gotta get those guys out of there. And they land and they say, come on, everybody, uh, um, there's 26 men. Um, I don't know how we got any of them out because only about three or four guys can fit in our tiny little ship. Right. The rest of you guys are on your own or something. I don't know. 
And they take off, and then a big puppet <laughs> comes up out of the desert and crushes the model, and it explodes, and they're like, ooh, that's a big worm. And they're like, yep. And Dr. Kind says some religious thing when he's when he's showing up, and um, Paul's like, there's a connection between the worms and the spice. You think? There? And he's like, yeah. There's a connection between everything and the spice, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> what movie do you think you're in? It's all about the goddamn spice. And Dr. Kynes likes the Duke. Yeah, he notices that the Duke was more concerned about the people than the spice. That's he's right. like, I dig this guy. <laughs> and then we come back to the castle, right? Yeah. And um, is that when we meet the, the house, the staff? Oh, yeah, yeah. Who are, I? yeah, they, they have the, the, the glowy blue eyes. They're Fremen. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they have glowy blue eyes. That's, yeah, that's true. Not always. <laughs> Not always. Anyway, Dr. Yu is checking him out with this thing, saying the Harkonnens may have tampered with him medically. And he says, that when he said Harkonnens, Jessica, because she was trained by the Benny Gesserit, she's like, I didn't know you hated the Harkonnens. And he's like, well, you see my wife. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. They must have killed her. And he's like, they did kill her, and I'm going to betray you all because you'll see. I mean, Cushy, <laughs> get me out of here. <laughs> I said too much! Uh-huh, and then we see the shout-out Mapes in one of three scenes that she's in, <laughs> and uh, then we go to Paul having a freak-out. <laughs> he's in bed, and he's having a weird dream, and he sees, like, a moon and a hand yeah. and the desert. And like a, 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 a water droplet, water. yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he dreams he, he, he dreams that he's in a David Lynch movie. Oh, no, you know what it is? He goes in, and there's some spice candy. Spice candy! Oh, yeah, that's right. And just in case we don't know what it is, we hear his inner voice say, Spice. Yeah. Oh, cool, okay. <laughs> and then he has a freak yeah. out, and he's about to go take a dump or something, and a little tiny panel opens up over his bed. Yeah. And a little tiny big pen comes out, <laughs> and it's and it's floating around, and he's like, oh, that's a hunter seeker. I better not move, because it's, it's, its vision is based on movement like a T-Rex. <laughs> but you look at the hunter seeker, and he just looks and then right we have back. this unendurably long scene where this little big pen floats yeah. around, and we're like, we're like, are we supposed to be scared of this thing? What will it do? We don't have... Why isn't Paul telling us what it will do? And then it looks like it's going to go back to its hidey hole, and then the door opens, and it goes zooming towards it, and Paul grabs it and smashes it into the wall. And who's at the door, Steve? It's one of the servant people. Shout, it's the shout-out mapes. Yeah, that one. The sure. housekeeper. Yeah. The, the, the house elf. And she's... Stop it. And she's like... You saved my life, so I'm going to tell you something. You have a traitor. We don't know who it is. Bye. And she leaves. <laughs> and everyone's Thanks. upset, right? They're all like, we're all upset. Look, we've got our... They have a, sh a, a regular shield up around the palace, right? Right. And they have their, their army, and they're getting rid of all the stuff, all because they keep finding sabotage devices and assassins and stuff like that. They find the guy who was remote piloting the hunter-seeker, and he's dead and everything. And they're like, okay, but we'll be okay, right? We'll be fine. We'll be all right, or something like that, right? Yeah, and then all the power goes out. <laughs> no, that is... Or something. So, that night, or a, ni uh, a night later, 
Little Guido's walking around. He goes to his son's room and he says, Good night, son. And he walks out and his son's laying there and he's like, No, daddy, drugged. Because he's been drugged, right? Yeah. And he's walking around going, It's quiet tonight. <laughs> and then he finds the shout out Mapes and she's all stabbed. And That's not good. He's like, Who did this to you? And then Dr. Huey comes out of her room and shoots him with a tranquilizer dart. Ha <laughs> ha, it was me. And he's like, Why? And he's like, I want to get revenge on Baron Harkonnen for stuff and junk. And instead of me doing this, you know, replacing one of my own tooth teeth with a with a paraly- with a gas tooth, I could replace all of my teeth with gas gas teeth gas teeth, and then I could exhale and kill him for sure. Since I don't care about dying, but this is the better plan. This is the better plan. <laughs> he re- he pulls out one of the Duke's teeth and replaces it with this gas tooth. So when you bite on it and break it, it like and you it exhale exhales hard. poison gas. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, now don't forget about the tooth, right? Because <laughs> the Baron's gonna capture you, and you're gonna be. And right go out. In, you want to I don't know why and- I'm not doing this since I don't care about dying myself. <laughs> I just I really like my teeth the way they are. <laughs> And Dr. Huey's turn has sabotaged the generators that power the shields. Right. And he burned up all of the, the weirding modules. This is what they call their special sound weapon. Yeah. And everyone's like, uh-oh, SpaghettiOs. And then the Harkonnens attack. And they blow a bunch of shit up and all of the Atreides people die. And we see Gurney Halleck with the dog. And he's like, long live Duke Leto. And he runs off and everybody's getting blown up. And, and, and the Harkonnens win. And we have to see Baron Harkonnen floating over <laughs> Lady Jessica and he spits on her. <laughs> yeah. He, yeah, and he well, he, he tells her he's going to spit on her first, uh-huh. and then he spits on her. Yeah. It's just how he rolls. Uh, and I'm like, take Lady Jessica and Paul, and let's do what the doctor told us to do. Oh, wait, no, the doctor dies first. So what yeah. happens is they let Dr. Huey in, and they're like, you want to join your wife? And he's like, my wife's alive? And they're like, what are you, are you kidding? Are you, listen to the tone of my voice. Do you want to join <laughs> your wife? Do you get what I'm saying? <laughs> oh! Right. And then they stab him, and he dies. Yeah. Then they go to Lady Jessica, and they're like, let's stick him in, let's do what the doctor says, let's abandon him out, and let's kill him out in the desert, and let's worms eat him. That would right. be a good plan, right? Yeah. Instead of just killing them right now. Right, in front of the, the Duke. <laughs> <laughs> like, right, let's kill him in front of the Duke. How about that? Well, you'd like that, wouldn't you, Baron Harkonnen? What? <laughs> no, no, put him on a ship and fly him out into the desert. No. Oh. They do that, and then it's time for the Duke, and the Har- Baron Harkonnen is, like, gloating in front of the Duke, and he wants the Duke's signet ring, right? Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't have it on him, and his mentat's getting on, Brad Dorf is getting all upset, and Duke Leto starts saying the tooth, which is, why did you do that? Why did you say that out loud? I know. Why wasn't that an inner thought? He starts crying. That confuses the Baron Harkonnen. <laughs> Emotion. Yeah, and Brad Dorf <laughs> goes in there, and because... Uh, the Duke can't tell the difference between ultra skinny Brad Dourif and uh, extra corpulent and covered with boils the Baron Harkonnen because his vision's going in and out he he cracks his tooth and blow, exhales and kills his mentat right but the Baron Harkonnen is alive right yeah yay right. <laughs> thank god meanwhile in the ship <laughs> 
Jessica is all like gagged because she can use the voice, right? Right. And Paul wakes up and he tries to use the voice. And he doesn't do it right the first time, but he does it right the second time. And he's like, take off my mom's gag. And the Harkonnen guy takes off his mother's gag. And then she's like, kill that other guy. And she's told to kill the other guy. <laughs> and the plane starts crashing. And then he's now cut my son's bonds. He cuts, cuts the bonds and he kick karate chop kicks him. And they crash into a cliff. And now the ship's going down for like forever. But he writes it, right? <laughs> yeah. And then they realize, oh, the Duke is dead. Oh, no, psychic feelings. And then they, and then they cut back. I don't remember. They crash. <laughs> yeah, they they crash into the desert, and Paul is like, uh, "We can make it to the rocks." Right. Let's go. Bring yeah. the still suits and attach to the still suit yeah. is the signet ring. Yeah. And they all start running to. They run to the rocks. They get to the rocks. And then Paul's like, "I don't know how to feel." Right. Right. And then he has a big monologue. What's the monologue, Steve? Oh, I forget. I don't know. <laughs> He's like, "The spice is changing me." Oh, that's right. It's making me more awesome than I already was. I could see stuff and shit. (laughs) And then he yells at his father, who I think he thinks is living on the moon. (laughs) He shouts up at the moon, sleep, father, the sleeper will awaken. Not yet. That's like more of a third act thing. (laughs) Kind of closer to the end. This is still in the first, the end, kind of getting close to the end of the first act. Anyway, don't worry. I'll let you know when it happens. (laughs) I'll yell at you again. I will. I promise. Okay, bye-bye. Love you. Mwah, mwah. (laughs) <laughs> they put on still suits and they have to get go from those the rocks that they're at to bigger rocks. Yeah. And to do that, they have to put a thumper down, right? Right, because that draws the worms away. That's right, because worms are attracted to rhythmic sounds. And it's just like tremors. Yeah. And... <laughs> exactly. It's exactly like tremors. It kind of makes you think the tremors went, went hey, you know what the best part of Dune was? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do a movie about that. <laughs> <laughs> So they walk, and then the, the, a big worm comes and chases them, and they get into the, the giant rock, and then the worm isn't done with them yet, and it starts smashing up against it, and Paul falls down, and he's like, could you smell all the spice on him? Oh, there's got to be connection between the worms and the spice, right? Yeah. And she's like, really? That's what we want to talk about right now? <laughs> <laughs> And he's like, come on, let's go this way. So they go climbing up into the into the rocks, and they meet who, Steve? Oh, they, they meet uh, the Fremen. That's right. And they meet yeah. Stilgar. Stilgar, yeah. And he's like, we're taking you. And Paul's like, nope, and he runs away. And <laughs> they shoot at him a little bit, and then Lady Jessica grabs Stilgar, and she uses the voice, and he's like, she's worth more weight and water. We won't hurt you. Come on down. And now they're all friends. Yeah. And Paul sees a woman from his visions. Yeah. Yeah. And her name's Chani. She's like, hi. Yeah. She's like, hey. And he's like, hi. <laughs> How you doing? And then they walk into this great big, um, they, they've collected a bunch of water. Yeah, in this big underground cavern. Right. And they're like, that's a lot of water. What you gonna do with it? Uh. <laughs> we're waiting until we have enough, and then we're gonna do something with it. We'll take a know. bath, maybe. Um, nah. well, who knows? <laughs> go swimming, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> We're wait. We're waiting for the one. You know. Yeah. There's, there's a guy who's gonna come along who's gonna bring balance to the force. No, he's gonna. There's something. He's 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 the one that's going to destroy Voldemort. No, wait. He's the one that is going to be able to use the Matrix like the agents use the Matrix. Is that no, what he is? That's not it either. Oh goddamn it! Which one is he? 
It's, it's the one that's going to defeat the rise of the machines. All oh, right. No, I don't know. No, we call him the Quick Rabbit. The Quick Quits at Tatarak, right? Yeah, yeah. Some made up fucking word. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, come on. And now we kind of get a montage. Yeah. Well, because <sighs> yeah, Paul Paul agrees. <laughs> Paul agrees to teach them how to use the the voice, how to you to do to to teach them the weirding way, right? And to somehow because he the has the weapons. plans, Huey gave him the plans, right? Right. And he's like, yeah, these people can make these, and so they make, yeah, they have technology. Clearly, yeah, they make. So he agrees to make the weirding modules, and he gets he teaches them, and he puts one on, and he blows up a rock, and they're like that's cool. And <laughs> then he tells everybody, hey, everybody, we're gonna make the Harkonnens pay. And we're going to stop all spice production, and we're going to make the Emperor come here, right? Yeah. And then he'll have to deal with us and the people out in the, out in the audience like, what do you mean us? He's not a Fremen. What do you mean us? Us? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on a second there, buddy. I heard he's the one. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's well, that's a whole different kettle of fish now, isn't it? <laughs> And then his mom makes a bad decision and drinks the water of life. What's the water of life, Steve? It's really bad water. It's the bile from newborn worms on Arrakis. Yeah. And, and if and, you yeah, drink yeah. it as a woman, if you can't transmute the water of life, you die. And yeah. no man has ever done it, huh, Steve? No man has ever done it. So guess what happens before the end of the movie? <laughs> I'll just I'll just leave that to your imagination until we get there. Right. And... Yeah. Paul gets his own little army, his own little guard, and they keep blowing stuff up. Oh, and then they accidentally attack some, some what? They weren't Harkonnen, they were scavengers or something. Yeah. And it turns out Gurney Halleck's alive. Yay! Yeah. Yay, Patrick Stewart's back in the movie. And one of the only touching parts of the film. <laughs> And oh, and and also uh, Jessica revealed that she was pregnant with the Duke's well, child. Well, no, Paul guessed it, or oh, Paul that's could right. tell yeah, that yeah. she was. Yeah, and 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 the, and the baby is born. The, she goes into labor after drinking the water of life. That's right, and it really goopy, gross, yeah. gross, so gross. Anyway, um, so the baby who's named Alia has all the powers of a reverend mother. Yeah, creepy. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, turns out Raban, who has been placed in charge of Arrakis, has been keeping it a secret that this super important thing that uh, the whole universe depends on has just stopped flowing out of the planet. How did he keep that a secret? Who knows, Steve? Who knows? <laughs> You'd think that the guild steersmen that they would have shown up and carpet bombed the whole planet by this point. You would think. It's pretty important. <laughs> so, uh, but Paul's reaching a point. He can't see anymore, and he's got to do something about it. Yeah, well, what he's got to do is he's, he's got to drink that there water of life is what he's got to do. So that's what he does. That's what he does. He runs off into the desert with Chani. Chani says, I love you more than anything. And he does not care. <laughs> don't don't you have something you want to say? No. <laughs> Pour the water for life uh, in my mouth. It could kill me. In it. <laughs> Look, I like you. Okay. That's as far as it goes. Mm -hmm. And he, she does it. And he has the freak out of freak outs. <laughs> and he, see, the Reverend Mother told him that there was a place that um, terrifies women. That there was a place they can't go and with their spooky psychic powers right and it turns out it, I, I think it's the same place where the guild navigators go too and yeah. now he can go there because he's super great right yes exactly exactly he's the one he's the one and uh he bleeds his his blood comes
comes out of his eyes, and all the Bene Gesserits all over the galaxy start getting nosebleeds. Alia <laughs> grows up super fast, so she's now like four years old in two years, yeah. and she's got the voice of what appears to be a 37-year-old woman trying to do a baby's voice. Yeah. Just kind of doing like this. <laughs> Paul's gonna fuck you up. <laughs> and so... Um, he wakes up, he, all these worms gathered around him. Yeah. Because apparently even the worms, oh, we forgot that part. He can control the worms. Well, first of all, He's... in order for him to gain respect within the tribe, he had to ride a worm. Oh, that's right. We, had, we skipped yeah, he that had to, like, Nothing happened. He had to saddle one and, yeah. Yeah, he gets up and he, he rides a worm around. Anyway, so he stands up and what, what does he shout at the moon? Oh, he says, Father, the sleeper has awakened. That's right. And the moon doesn't say anything because it's he's just it's, yelling at the moon. Yeah, it's the moon. Your dad's not there, it's, Paul. Yeah, it's just a moon, Paul. <laughs> it doesn't talk. <coughs> Meanwhile, back on Caladan, the emperor's upset because there's no spice coming off of the planet. Yeah. Where's the spice? And he's like, "Okay, fuck it. That's it. I'm going there." And um, oh no, this happened before. This happened before he drank the water of life. The emperor's like, "Fuck it, I'm going there." And Paul goes, "The emperor's coming. Yeah. Give me the water." Yeah, and then he tells yeah. the Baron, "You better be there because oh boy." I'm gonna yell at you and <laughs> so they get there the emperor lands he's got a big gold ship he comes in he's got his yeah. daughter and stuff with him and he tells the baron to come into his throne room baron comes into the throne room and he's got a little gift for the baron what is it it's the head of raban that's right and he's <laughs> like bitch you're gonna tell you me <laughs> what the fuck is going on in this planet but before we can get an explanation, they decided to send a four-year-old to deliver a message, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah. A li- darling little Aaliyah. Aaliyah. <laughs> Aaliyah. And Child of like, the corn. Hi, Baron. Hello, Emperor. Did you know that my brother's the shit? And he's gonna come and get you. <laughs> Your ass is grass, and Paul is the lawnmower. Wait, Paul? Paul Atreides? <laughs> Moi, <Deeb. laughs> God damn it. That's his street name. <laughs> He's coming for your ass. Yeah, we skipped the part where he had to take on two additional names. Yeah, two extra names. There's the one that the Fremen will call him when they're amongst themselves, and then there's the one that like he will his be known by. His super secret name. His, his code name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> His 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 super secret name is Usul. His Usul, yeah. His street name is Muadib, and he's Paul Atreides. So he's Paul Muadib Atreides parentheses Usul. Yeah, and also Muadib is a killing word when they're doing the weirding. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, what happens? Uh, they uh, blow up. They blow up the shield wall with an atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. All these guys riding worms come in, and they're they're choppy all over the place. They're killing everybody. Everybody's yeah. getting killed. And and <laughs> Perrin decides to grab Alia, which is a, a mistake, right? Nah, yeah, not good. Not a good move, Baron. Because she swipes him with the Gamjabar. How did she get that? I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> he gets Gamjabar in the face, and he screams and spins around, and then he gets he flies directly into a, a worm's mouth, right? Yep. Bye, Baron. Dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And they fight and they fight and they fight and they fight and Paul wins! Yay! Yay! And then we're back in a big room. The Emperor's there. Fade's there. Um, Paul's there. And he's all like, look, I don't know if you haven't heard this, but I'm the shit. (laughs) (laughs) There's a new sheriff in town. And it's me. 
<laughs> we're going to control everything, and you're going to fall in line. And the Emperor's like, no. And he's like, shut up. And the Reverend Mother is like, I would like to say. And he's like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> and then Fade pipes up, and he goes, hi. I know I said it in an inner voice earlier, but I really want to kill Paul for some reason. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of want to really kill him right now, but I mean, earlier before, unmotivated by anything, I want to kill him. Can I kill him now, though? <laughs> can we go ahead and just pay that off can we, right yeah, before can we the end, that? please? Yeah. And the Emperor's like, he can have my, he can carry my dagger if he wants. And um, he's like, cool. And the people are <laughs> like, Paul, do you really want to do this? And he's like, who are you talking to? I'm Paul. I got this. I'm, okay? the, I'm the Mary Sue of this bitch. Yeah, I got this. I have no flaws and I make no mistakes. Okay, this is fine. And I'm like, okie dokie. <laughs> and they let them fight. And they 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 fight with their daggers. <laughs> and um, Fate has this little uh, thorn on his side, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That has poison in it. And Paul's like, uh-oh. But then he <laughs> flips him over and shoves his dagger, his Chris knife, right up through the bottom of his <laughs> mouth into yeah. his brain and he kills him and then he yeah, shouts at him yeah he kills him extra with his voice yeah because yeah. now he doesn't even need the weird weirding module right he doesn't need any machinery he can just do it he is final paul and now he's like we fremen and i don't i cannot imagine that there weren't some fremen that were still on the fence about this like rolling their eyes we oh jesus fremen. <laughs> did we have a vote on this she's the one shut up <laughs> Why wasn't one of us the one? It was our prophecy. Right. And he's like, hey, we're going to take control. We're awesome. Yay. We're going to use an uncomfortable word for what we did. We're calling it a jihad, everybody. <laughs> yeah, that's right. They call it a jihad. <coughs> and now for my final trick. Ah, uh, yes. I'm going to make a rain. And it rains. Yeah. And the Fremen outside don't panic and run away. They don't. They just get <laughs> like, what's this falling on us? Oh, this better not be all the water we saved. Oh, man, we were saving that for something. Because all this is going to do is evaporate, and then we're fucking, we're back to square fucking one, Paul. <laughs> but then what happens? Uh, while it's raining, uh, little Alia says, And, and how can this be? And how can this be? <laughs> For he is the Kwisatz Haderach. Which is the thing he is that is... The Kwisatz yeah. Haderach. Get it right, yeah, man. It. Well, oh, sorry. Oh, for, forgive How me. How dare you? Kwisatz Haderach. <laughs> there, that's, that, that's, that makes sense. He is the Kwisatz Haderach. The end. The end. And we get the little credits where you see everybody. Yeah. They, you know, that like TV credits. Ever. Yeah. You have well, a picture a of them with the name and who they played. Yeah. Because it is quite conceivable that you watched this whole movie and committed none of their freaky weird names to right. any of the characters. You're like, <laughs> oh, you know, that's his name. Yeah. The only one we know for sure is Paul. Because everyone's Paul. Paul. I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who Paul Until was. Until they fucking change his name halfway through the movie. <laughs> Mwadib. <laughs> and it's over, Steve. It's over. All right, Steve. Yeah. How do you feel about this motion picture epic? This sci-fi extravaganza based on a classic sci-fi novel where they omitted a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Dune! Dune! Uh, well, you know, uh, in her review of this film when it opened in 1984, uh, the great New York Times film critic Janet Maslin observed that several of the characters in the movie are psychic which puts them in the unique position of being able to understand what goes on in the movie 
<laughs> and I can't, I can't possibly put it in better words than that. Um, my problem with the movie is not exactly that, though. My problem with the movie is related to that. Can I but, ask you a quick like, question? I, I, uh, huh? Can I ask you a quick question? Yes, please. Have you read the book? No, I have not read the book. Okay, so that's going to be interesting to me because I had read the book before I saw the movie. Yeah. And I have read, read the book since seeing the movie. And I want to know, is having read the book imperative to be able to follow what's happening in the movie? Yeah, yeah. I, I've never read the book. And actually, this is the first time I had seen the movie. Okay. So, uh, yeah. But, um, so my, my problem with it, like, I think, I think think I follow the plot in a very basic way. Okay. Like, it's super complicated, but I think I can boil it down to just basics in terms of, you know, who the characters are, what their goals are, what they accomplish during the film, how things are different at the end than they are at the beginning. Like, I think I, I've got most of that reasonably right. Right. But the problem is I don't grasp the meaning of any of it. Um. Like, I don't, I don't get why it's important. I don't get why I should care. Because I don't really care about anything that happens in the movie. I don't care about the characters. I don't care about their treachery and double-crossing of each other. I don't care about their realization of their destinies. Mm -hmm. I don't care that it rains on Arrakis at the end. Like I I get it, rain on the desert planet, and the movie sets that up with like the underwater water, the underground water cavern. Like it, it, so we it makes sense when it happens. It doesn't feel like it just comes out of nowhere. Like and now it's raining for some reason. Like it's they set it up, but I don't care. Like I don't feel anything. I don't. The significance of it doesn't really reach me. And. You know, the whole movie is like that. The film, the film is almost perversely inaccessible. Like there's so much of there's so much of the dialogue here is expository dialogue, but the exposition is so complicated and it's so filled with references to imaginary places and these little arcane bits of backstory that ultimately the expository dialogue makes what happens on screen even harder to follow, which is the opposite of what exposition is supposed to do. Right. Um, and so I, there's part of me that wonders, and I don't think this is actually true. Like I think this was the, I think that the movie was just a, was just a goof up. I think it was just a failed movie. But I, there's a part of me, the part of me that admires David Lynch, wonders if that inaccessibility was a conscious choice, B- because there are times when he does seem to be making a joke of it. Yeah. Like in the very beginning, when Virginia Madsen's character fades in to give us the the, the opening narration, and he does this thing where she fades out and then comes back. Yeah. a couple of times like, to like oh, yeah, add and something another thing. yeah and i'm like that that's got to be a joke right because like she just gave us this this just spiel of nothing but made up names and places and just this this completely indecipherable exposition and then she fades down and comes back and she's like oh yeah one other thing like come on that has to be a joke um but i don't think it was i think it's just a bad movie um but david lynch seems to have seen this story as as an opportunity to do what he's really interested in as a filmmaker which is to create indelible unsettling images and soundscapes and to explore the absurd and the surreal um, and most filmmakers, the difference between David Lynch and most other filmmakers is most filmmakers are writing novels while Lynch is writing poetry. Mm-hmm. Usually. That's usually what he, he, he has made straight narrative films too, but sure. most of the time when you think of a David Lynch film, you think of images and themes right. and, 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 you know, he's doing things that are, it's, it's like, he's trying to speak directly to your emotions rather than to reach your, your logical mind. Yeah. Um, and with Dune, I think Lynch wanted to write a poem, but 
the producers and the, the money people wanted a novel, so he kind of had to do both. He kind of had to make a movie that was mostly like a boring novel, but throw in his bits of poetry sort of sprinkled in here and there, and it just doesn't work. Right. It just doesn't. It just doesn't come together, and it doesn't work. The best moments of the movie, and there are some good moments, are are for me are the Lynchian ones. Are that that weird sort of trance-like repetition of certain phrases, mm. like how Paul repeatedly. You know, we've mentioned a couple of them in 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 the review, and you know, Paul a couple times he says Arrakis desert planet dune and he always says them in that order and in that sort of tone uh-huh. um some of the editing is very impressionistic where we come into scenes and it almost feels like you you come into the scene just a little bit late because things are already happening yep um there are those brief snatches of the inner voice that we've talked about that is such a weird technique and you wonder like why did he do that uh-huh. um but it's a but it's very lynchian because it's it's kind of like why why is it like that you know and there's and the 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 sort of just outrageous weirdness, like the way he the way he shoots the Baron floating around, or Alia as the creepy little sister. Um, and there's enough good in here that I feel like if Lynch had been able to just make the movie he wanted to make and to take Herbert's novel and just do as he wished with it and keep what he needed and just felt free to get rid of the rest, this could have been a good movie. Um, it probably would not have pleased fans of the book. No. But I don't care. <laughs> um, I, 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 like, I don't give a shit. Um, if Lynch had been able to make whatever movie he wanted to make with this, um, I, I think it would have been a better movie. And I think one of the things that hurts the movie is the fact that Lynch has to put stuff in there from the book that I don't think he really cared about as a filmmaker or as a storyteller but he has to put it in there because that's what the producers expected or that was what his sort of mandate was um so as it is i i think dune is mostly just this boring opaque slog (laughs) with occasionally sort of interesting bits popping up every now and then and the interesting bits usually only last for a few seconds at a time (laughs) which unfortunately is not enough to keep me interested in a two and a quarter hour movie so despite the fact that there are some parts of it that I do genuinely think are, are, are good or at least interesting or certainly memorable, even if it's not good, because goddamn, the Baron is memorable, even though I wouldn't necessarily call him good. <laughs> uh, he's very memorable. Uh, it's not enough to make it a good movie. So I, I will have to say not a classic for this one. I thought you liked sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Dune? At least this Dune. <laughs> should not be made as one movie number one I view this because I can fill in a lot of the stuff that's not there with what I know from the book right and what I know from the books and what, how I know the endings mm-hmm. are different there's no Paul does not become a god in the books or at least not in Dune right. you know there's no rainstorm at the end of Dune a lot of Dune is told from the perspective of Chani and Lady Jessica and um, actually the actual ending of Dune is Paul having to marry the princess or little princess exposition in ah. order to solidify a, a marriage there and Chani becomes you know his lead concubine right just like Jessica right. was just like his mother exactly yeah um, but Dune Dune needs to be three movies <laughs> if you want to tell everything or two movies if you wanted to compact it but not one movie where you you go to David Lynch and say, write this based on this. And Lynch went, okay. 
<laughs> There's a lot of exposition in this. There's a lot of explaining what things are. Yeah. And I don't know if it's because of my knowledge of the books, but the things that I like in this are things like when the guilds, uh, when the third stage guild navigator comes in and speaks with the emperor, right? That doesn't, by the way, doesn't happen in the books. <laughs> but I love the look of the guild, uh, the guild steersmen, the guys from the guild, all dressed up in black. They got tubes running out of their heads, like proto borgs. And yeah. I love the fact that people are doing things that are never explained. Like when the the when the thing leaves, there's guys with like squeegees soaking up this liquid that's been left behind by the by the aquarium tank. Not explained, easily missable detail, but it's in there. I love it when um, the mentat um, for uh, mentat Piter Debris is in his little trolley saying his little thing while drinking his juice not explained interesting little thing world building i didn't need it explained for me to not for me to not think it's interesting so there's lots of little things like that in it but unfortunately they're explaining everything else and that's the problem that i have with the movie is that it does a whole lot of exposition and it starts to feel like the whole goddamn movie (laughs) is exposition yeah and that's what happens when you take this big book that has complicated characters that has character growth Paul develops as a character in the book. Paul in this one just goes from super great to super, super great, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that's a problem when you want to break it down. I mean, this movie is long, but it doesn't feel long enough for us to get a a grasp on the characters. We don't spend enough time with the Duke. We don't spend enough time with Jessica. We don't spend enough time with Paul. We just keep jumping back and forth between characters. Everything feels like it's in shorthand. Now, is that enough for me to hate the movie? Nope. Why? (laughs) Because I love the way this movie looks. I love every... So, the design aspect. Steve? Yeah. Ever seen a movie like it? Oh, no. Do you think that they wasted their money on that stuff? (laughs) No. I mean... Did yeah, it, the uh, the look is one of the is is one of the best parts of the movie. The it was almost as if they had a mandate: do not make this look like Star Wars, right? And they went right, and they just went off and completely like soup like great. Uh, a lot of it looks like covers from uh, the nineteen seventies paperbacks of of science fiction novels, right? Yeah. And that's what I really like about it is that this is one of the few movies that actually kind of captures that that aesthetic. Um, I love the way that you can easily differentiate the bad guys from the good guys easily. Bad guys are all wearing black and rubber. <laughs> 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 I love that they bothered to give um, each one like a kind of culture. You get it right away with the Harkonnens that they are a industrial, awful, wasteful culture yeah. that do gross things um, and don't really seem to care about people a whole lot. Um, and I, you know, I just honestly, I just really love the aesthetic of this film. And granted, is it something that I watch all the time? No, but when I do watch it, I do love the way he cuts it. I do love the fact that I can see Lynch's hands all over this, even mm-hmm. though he is adapting a massive book. He's still trying to make sure that his voice gets in there in places. Every dream sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, and in certain aspects, when um, we're cutting to, when he does the close-ups of the mouths, he loves that. He loves close-ups of mouths and eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Because I love Lynch. And if some people find it inaccessible, it's because there's a certain level of inaccessibility to all of Lynch's films. 
That's true. There are whole swaths of the population that have never understood and will never understood even his most straightforward movies. They will not get it. That's one of the things I like about him. It, for me, I don't care if I get what he's trying to say. I admire the attempt, and I admire the attempt in this the, for this film. Is it perfect? No. Was it going to make any money? No. It's too <laughs> goddamn weird. Everyone loves Star Wars. Star Wars... See, one of the bigger complaints that I have about Star Wars is that Star Wars said, no, sci-fi looks like this now. And I was like, no, 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 don't say that. No, everything has to look like Star Wars now. I'm like, not even even Star Trek? Yeah, even Star Trek has to look like Star Wars now. (laughs) I'm like, stop it! I like I like my fanciful I like lots of different kinds of sci-fi and I like fanciful none of these ships make sense. None of it none of them do. And I like it that way. I mean, they have, the, I, and I also love the fact that he sneaks in, he can sneak in upsetting things at the drop of a hat. You go, oh, here comes Duncan Idaho. He's going to save Paul. And Duncan Idaho turns on his shield and he's, he's, he gets about two good punches in. And then some dude shoots a gun yeah. that has, that shoots a bullet that has a screw on it. And it screws through the <laughs> shield and hits Duncan in the head. And they're like, oh, okay, never mind. Bye-bye, Duncan Idaho. (laughs) How are you going to kill off a character (laughs) named Duncan Idaho? So while I acknowledge that the movie is, I'll, I'll say it right now, the movie's bad. It's bad. It's mostly exposition. I can watch it. I watch it for some of the performances. This movie has a great cast. Oh, my God, yes. And they're trying. They're working. They're working hard with what they got. Um, would I like it if I was more inv- engaged with the characters? Yes. Is that holdover from the books? Oh, definitely. I can understand why Steve can't get into it because he did, didn't read the books, right? And I'll readily yeah. admit, the miniseries that came out in, I think it was 2000 or so? Yeah. That was Something on sci-fi. Yeah. Is in many cases much better. It's more complete. I'll say that much. <coughs> so while this movie isn't perfect, I enjoy it. And if you guys want to watch something visually and get to see great great design, interesting cutting, um, odd weird, odd choices being made, in many cases <laughs> adapting this to a two-hour and so length is a disservice to the story. Um, but everything else was in place for it to be a good story. And so I'm going to, I don't care what Steve said. <laughs> <laughs> I likes it, says I. So Steve, classic, not classic. I say not classic. Yeah, I'm going to have to say that too, but I enjoyed it. So yeah. Steve, mm-hmm. what movie are you going to recommend? Oh, well, as you may recall, when we, when we revealed last time that Dune, or that Dune would be our subject, I made a little comment about how I will watch Kyle MacLachlan in anything. Yeah, you will. <laughs> I love me some Kyle MacLachlan. So for my recommendation, I am recommending a film that not everybody likes. Some people really like this movie. Some people kind of were just like, eh, whatever. But it's a movie starring Kyle MacLachlan, not in the lead role, but in one of the most important roles, uh, from the year 2000. And it is the uh, that year's modernized version of Hamlet, oh. starring uh, Ethan Hawke as as Ham. Actually, speaking of great cast, it has Ethan Hawke as Hamlet. Kyle MacLachlan plays uh, Claudius. Leave Schreiber's in it as Laertes, Joyous Styles, Bill Murray as Polonius, <laughs> Sam Shepard as the ghost of Hamlet's father. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, so great cast. And what I like about it, and it's a, it's a modernized take. So it takes place in modern New York City. Right. And in, instead of the country of Denmark, Denmark is like a company and, and Claudius is the, the CEO of the company instead of the king of Denmark. And there are other modern things that they, they add right. to it. I think it's, it's, most, it's most well known, I think, for staging the to be or not to be monologue in a video store. Um, and I, I really like it. I think if, of all of the attempts to modernize Shakespeare up, up all the way to our contemporary level, uh, it's one of the better ones. And it's very accessible, which I appreciate as a former English student, that you take Shakespeare and you present it in a way that even if someone isn't an admirer of the works of Shakespeare, they can watch this movie and they can at least get it. They, not, yeah. they might not necessarily love it and begin a lifelong love affair with Shakespeare, but they get it. They understand it. They can connect to it. And I really enjoy that. So that is my recommendation. And it's a movie that it, it, it got a little bit of buzz when it came out, but it's kind of largely been forgotten. Yep. Um, so if you haven't seen the, the 2000 version of Hamlet starring Ethan Hawke and starring Kyle MacLachlan as Claudius, that is my recommendation to check out that version of Hamlet. Okay. Well, since I like this movie, I have a movie not to recommend. And as Yay. you guys know, I like to take a movie from the same year is the movie that we just reviewed. And this time around, I'm kind of doing another polar opposite kind of deal. <laughs> <clears throat> now, maybe one of the reasons why I like this movie so much is for its visual aspect. A lot of work went into this film. And I'm going to pick a movie that doesn't... My cat doesn't want me to. Shut Aww, up. kitty. I'm going to... <laughs> um, not recommend a movie that I flat out hate. <laughs> 1984 and someone somewhere said hey you know what would be great let's make a movie about how <coughs> a middle-aged man sleeps with the 17 year old daughter of his best friend and let's set it in brazil why not uh -oh. let's do that the movie i'm talking about is called blame it on rio oh yeah and let's let's cast michael kane as the middle-aged man because you know every 17 year old girl would definitely fall in love with pudgy middle-aged <laughs> michael kane <laughs> He's a charming fellow. Uh-huh. Movie stars Michael Caine, Joseph Bologna, Valerie Harper, Michelle Johnson, and Demi Moore. Um, it's awful. It really is just terrible. This is an awful event that's happening in these people's lives, but it's a comedy! <laughs> <laughs> uh, wackiness ensues. Wackiness ensues. Oh, if Steve slept with my 17-year-old daughter, Steve would disappear like smoke. <laughs> People would be like, what happened to Steve's YouTube channel? He was always so regular with the uploads. Why would she want to sleep with me? I'm not Michael Caine. <laughs> it's an awful movie. It's an awful subject. It's an awful, terrible movie. You got awful, terrible reviews. I regret <laughs> watching it. It was supposed to be funny, and it's not. So don't see it. Hey, Steve. Yeah? You know what time it is? <sighs> is it time for me to make a terrible choice? It's time for you to make a terrible choice. Oh, good. I have selected two movies for Steve oh. to choose from. He oh, near, merely has to say the letter A or the letter B to choose the movie that we're going to review for next time. So, Steve, mm -hmm. A or B? <sighs> I knew this was coming. I was up late all night last night pondering what I would choose. I just picture after... you looking at these two big flashcards. One says A, the other says that's, B. That's how I train for this show, man. <laughs> so, so after many hours of careful preparation and deep meditation, I will tell you that this time I choose 
A. A. Now, guys, this time this was going to be... This one was pretty easy. It wasn't between a good movie and a bad movie. It was actually between two movies. Uh, We will reserve judgment (laughs) on whether or not they were good or bad. Mm, Okay. But had he chosen B, we would have watched the 80s classic Tron. Oh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. But instead, he chose A and made Jason's wee little heart skip and jump with glee. Because the movie that we're going to review next time around is a little movie from the 1970s, directed by Jim Henson, and it's called The Muppet Movie. Oh, yeah, (laughs) all right. So, if you want to get all the jokes, go out and watch The Muppet Movie. And if Steve's harsh on this movie, it'll be the last show we ever do. (laughs) You don't like The Muppets? What is wrong with you? We have established it. Steve doesn't like elves. If there's elf one in a movie, fuck that movie. Fuck that movie. Get that elf away from me. Unless those elves are slaves, like in the Harry Potter films, he doesn't like them. Oh, boy, I love that part. He loves slave elves. Boy, oh, boy. Why are you freeing that elf, Harry? (laughs) (laughs) And he hates puppets and whimsy. No, you don't. I hate all things that bring joy to children. I was going to make the choice between the Muppet movie and Meet the Feebles, but oh, then boy. I ran the risk of watching Meet the Feebles. Yeah, I was going to say, that is, that, that is certainly a contrast. <laughs> yes, it is. Wow. <sighs> okay, everybody, you've made it through our review of Dune. I hope everybody's happy and you're going to continue listening to us. <laughs> you asked for it and you got it. For late seating, this has been Jason Harding, and go see a movie this week. And this has been Steve Shives, and remember what I always say. Behold, as a wild ass in the desert, go I forth to my work. You just, you couldn't help yourself. You couldn't help yourself, could you, Steve? I couldn't. You couldn't pass up the line that had the word ass in it. I had to swear. You know, I... <laughs> you thought I was going to harangue you for choosing one of Patrick Stewart's lines. <laughs> I thought maybe, but then you, you zinged me. I zinged you. I swerved you, you see? You, you, That's how you comedy You zigged works. when I thought you were going to zag, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. What? I think that's actually a biblical quote. How is that possible? I don't know how he would know that, but I'm pretty sure that's a biblical quote that he says. Yeah. Behold, as a wild ass in the desert, go I forth to my work. I I, I think. I'm not. I I could be wrong about that. Well, it had desert and ass in it, and the the Bible's lousy with that. You can't can't read a single page of that without reading about a donkey or or the desert. Yeah, it's full of ass. Yeah, I'm fairly certain that it's full of ass. It's just a line. They They gave it so that poor Patrick's Stewart, the distinguished Shakespearean actor, Could would have, have something line. to say. Yeah, <laughs> like, just give him something to say in this movie. This... Other than, Atomics! <laughs> Can we hurry this up? I've got to do... Uh... Oh no, that movie was before this one. I have literally nothing to do for the next six years. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll do some old Shakespeare. <laughs> Actually, wait, it's 84, so... He has three years before three years Next Three years before Star Trek can eat mm. him alive. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned how he how uncomfortable the, uh, the, the still suits are. Mm-hmm. Patrick Stewart has said that the still suit is the most uncomfortable costume he's ever worn. And keep in mind, he had to get back surgery because of the first season TNG <laughs> costumes. 
That's how bad the still suits were. Well, there couldn't be any wrinkles in them because there's that, no wrinkles yeah. in the future. That's what because, Gene, I'm a genius, Roddenberry what, said. What are Roddenberry's bright ideas? No buttons, no zippers, no wrinkles. It's the future. And people are like, my back is being thrown out. I can't. It's the future. There, there aren't bad problems in the future. You put one on Gene, god damn it. <laughs> and I then he died in die the show got <laughs> And as soon as he did, two pieces all the way. <laughs> okay, folks, Gene's dead. New costumes. <laughs> oh, wow, we turned it around to Star Trek. Uh, we did, didn't we? Look at that. Even the feeblest excuse. <laughs> oh, come on. This is this is a pretty good one. Like, Captain Picard is in this movie. He's not. Pa- Captain Picard is not in Dune. Captain Picard would have sorted this whole shit out a lot really quick. <laughs> be like we'll give you warp drive then you don't have to worry on the guild there's no more spice shit no more spice you won't have to you won't have to count on giant testicle fish to fold space (laughs) you won't need any of that and travel with warp drive could you imagine the first discussion that Jean-Luc Picard has with a third stage guild navigator It would be the ultimate test of how he could maintain his composure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I guess it would be like, you want to do what? <laughs> and you, you see the third stage guild navigators panhandling on the streets of Iraq. <laughs> of this, this human asshole completely destroyed our job. <laughs> we have nothing now. We have nothing. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. <sighs> In three. It really is too bad that none of the Generations movies will ever be a classic. I know. They all stink. Mm. Well, we can we can sneak one of them in for one of our rule-bending episodes at some point. Do you like one enough for that? I like a couple of the next-gen movies. I, I, well, I mean, I really like First Contact, and I actually I have a soft spot for Insurrection as well. I heard. Yeah. We need to get that taken care of. Late Seating is a Let Me Listen podcast production featuring Steve Shives and Jason Harding. Produced by Jason Harding. Theme music, Rollin' at Five, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. You can find more Let Me Listen podcast productions at our website at www.letmelistenpodcast.com. You can also find us on Stitcher, iTunes, or just about anywhere you download podcasts. Late Seating is a listener-supported podcast. If you would like to support Late Seating or any of the other Lemmy Listen productions for as little as $1 a month, please visit our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Listen. And thanks for listening.